0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
1: This is the Hip Hop Save My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the
2: podcast. Now sit back because it's time for the podcast. Welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. We are still on Zoom for for obvious reasons. Forever. But, um, yeah, we, I mean, I don't know when this is going to end now. But um, anyway, we are we are we are truly honoured today to be joined by a, a legend, the one and only Bum B. Uh, incredible. How you doing, man?
3: I'm good. I'm good.
2: Question: Are you in your bed? Yeah. Doing this shit? Wow. Yeah. So 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 this is the situation. <laughs> Basically, I've got three kids. I, this is the only room I can sort of be away from, if you see what I mean, without them sort of bits. Okay. And so, yes, I am. I am in a bed and this bed actually, it's very 90s hip hop, I'll be honest with you, because it's got a TV that comes out. It's very MTV Cribs 1993. Do you know what I mean? It's got a TV that comes out the foot of it. And like, it's one of those that uh, my wife and I thought was going to be like, was, would be fucking wicked when we we're in the shop. And then we came home, and we were just like, I don't know if we should have bought this bed, man. This is like, <laughs> this ain't the one. Do you know what I mean? You can even tell by this by this headboard that it's a little bit you know what I mean
3: if it's your Wu-Tang tattoo I'll tell you that
2: yeah yeah that's true yeah that's true that's true um, so uh, how's life treating you man
3: I mean I can't really complain you know right now um, in spite of everything you know in spite of the pandemic um, you know we haven't um, in my family we haven't lost anybody to the pandemic had a couple of close calls but um, nobody passed away Due to the pandemic, so there's that for sure. Um, but I mean, for me, it's it's been okay, right? I, I have a you know I have a comfortable life, you know. I have a home with a front yard and a backyard, so I was always able to kind of go outside and you know like breathe like natural air, which I think is very key right now. Actually being able to go outside and breathe fresh air, you know. Um, but yeah, man, life is good. I, I got a you know I'm smoking on some good weed. You know, figured I'd have a drink. It's you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. But it's it's, Sunday, it's Saturday, so I'd be at brunch anyway, right now, right? So I, figured, you know, I could um, get fucked up on your.
2: Show. Yeah, well, no, go for it. No, feel free. What is it like uh, restrictions wise where you are now?
3: In Texas, there are no restrictions. Texas is a hundred percent open. Everything
2: has it been like
1: that for a while, or or is that um,
3: recent? I think for us, maybe what six weeks now, almost two months, where we've been I like know. wide open. But I mean. Restaurants and everything were, were all were kind of at like 50% for a while. You know what I'm saying? So we were, you know, probably one of the least restrictive states in America, but we got a Republican governor. So that's why, you know. So at that point, you kind of have to have some personal restraint to not put yourself in fucked up positions health wise, you know? Yeah. But right now, everything is 100% open. You know, you go to any restaurant. Where it used to be takeout only maybe four months ago. I mean, there's a line to get the table now. Wow. So it's um it's different here. You know, it's very, very different here.
2: Have you heard how fucked up it is in the UK? I mean, <laughs> we are completely screwed. Yeah, basically. yeah.
3: So uh good friend of mine, you know, obviously Dizzy Rascal is out there. So he kinda keeps me updated on it. And then I have a my good friend, his son was in school in London, you know, and so he was like literally Go to class and go right back to the apartment. So I've been getting updated on like they, y'all, y'all just at home, y'all just at the crib, and you got kids. That's fucked up.
1: <laughs> like I
3: live right across the street from like literally you cross the street and there's like a park. So my subdivision has its own park. So there's you know the kids were always able to go outside and play. They they closed off like the playground area, like the jungle gym and the swings and all that shit. You know because obviously that's a like, Highly contagious area, but the kids in my neighborhood were always kind of able to go outside and still, still be kids, you know, and which is extremely important for mental development of of children, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to go outside and play and socialize, that kind of thing. And we feel fucked up, right? It's like survivor's remorse, kind of a thing, mm-hmm. you know. It's like I can go anywhere I want right now, right? I can go sit down, have a big juicy steak. I can go shopping, buy some Gucci, all kind of unnecessary bullshit right now. I go out to a club tonight, you know what I'm saying? Strip club, all that shit if I wanted yeah. to. Like my options are limitless, you know what I'm saying? In that way, right, if I choose to indulge. But most most sensible people aren't doing that. Mm. You know, it's, it's typically young people who have a little bit more, you know, and young people typically operate with a little bit more reckless abandon, right? That's pretty par for the course yeah. for young people. They tend to feel Invincible young people jump off the roofs of houses, get up, walk off. If I jumped off the roof of a house, right wherever I landed, that's where I'd be. That's where you find me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you, um, have you had the vaccine yet over there? I have, I have both shots.
3: Um, I, I had it, my wife had it, my mother, her mother had it. Yeah. Um,
2: we had a thing over here where uh, people from minority communities were, were having a lower take up of the vaccine. Uh, than the population in general. Is that something that happened in the States or? Absolutely.
3: Because there's a pretty general mistrust, right, of authority figures and like medical, you know, black people have a hard enough to try to get to to the hospital, particularly black men, right? Black men over 50, 55. That's why so many of them tend to fall victim to like colon cancers and and stomach cancers and things like that, because they're, they're least likely to get checked up for that type of stuff. And so, yeah, but yeah, just in general, yeah, there's always been like a hindrance. Here's the thing, right? So it was hard enough trying to get a specific group of black people to even believe that the virus was a real thing, mm-hmm. right? And so to get people to believe in a uh, in a vaccine for a virus that they believe don't believe exists, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I
4: know. I told
3: you I'm doing (laughs) it. Hold on a second, man. Yeah, no worries, it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it soon. We had a package delivery pickup due today. Yeah? What was it? Uh, Just some, um, so my wife's been beating up online shopping lately. Me too. I mean, like, beating it up. So it's been this whole kind of guessing game as to when the shit actually gets here. If it's exactly what she thought it was, or if it wasn't, yeah. And then that stuff that isn't what she thought it was has to go back.
2: <laughs> I don't know at what level of shitness the thing would have to be for me to be bothered to send it back. I'm so lazy. Like it would that. have
3: to be toxic, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it would have to exactly. be toxic or like poisonous to the touch,
1: or really expensive it's super, if it's like super expensive. Like, it'd be.
3: Flammable if if it's you know if, if it's next to oxygen. Just something like that, right? To where it's like the families in a life or death situation. Because for me, returning something, it's like the worst shit in the world.
2: Oh, (laughs) mate, it's the fucking worst.
3: Why do women live for
2: it? I don't know. It's like my my wife, she's so blasé about it, she's just like, okay. This I don't like me. it, I gotta take it back. Yeah, I'm gonna send it back and I'm like, Fucking hell. I, I know that you can do that, but I don't ever exercise that right really with online shopping. I, I really don't man. And my
3: wife is always determined to take it into a store and confront someone. About it. <laughs> right? It's just that that whole idea of yeah. I don't like this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. You
3: know what I'm saying? And like you have to take it back and you have to give me money. Do you have receipt? That doesn't matter. You have to like. It's amazing how people will go against store policy just to get certain people out of the store.
2: <laughs> just if you make yourself enough of a social nuisance, you can pretty much get anything returned, right? Yeah.
3: And some people live in that world. Some people operate in that space. I'm like, I could, I couldn't do it. I just like they yeah. give zero fucks about how anybody feels about anything. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just too connected to my humanity for that, I just couldn't do people like that. I know.
2: And you also think these people working in retail, they're not getting paid the best either, do you know what I mean? So then the last thing they need is you just uh, rocking up and giving them a shit time. of it. I get very embarrassed about all that. So
3: I'll say this because this is a British podcast Yeah. and I'm pretty sure my wife would never hear it, right? (laughs) So like my wife will go and like say we'll go in Gap, right? Yeah, yeah. And we'll walk through Gap. But it's usually to get shit for the grandkids, right? At this point, I'm not, you can look at me, I'm not shopping at the Gap, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think I'm the target demographic anyway. But she'll go into Gap and get shit, for, look at shit for the kids, so she'll pick up something, throw it down, pick up another piece, throw it down. I'm like, why is she just unfolding all this shit that people gotta <laughs> pick up, right? And she's like, no, oh, that's what they get, that's what they get paid to do. I'm like, I'm there, I'm like yeah, once.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah.
3: description for them to feel like they gotta <laughs> fold this set of overalls four or five times just because yep. you just want to see what it looks like. Like it just don't. I don't know. I just. Yeah, I
2: don't know. So, you mentioned Dizzy Rascal there. Now, Dizzy Rascal's is the big friend of the show. Um, and I know that you've done loads of uh, collaborations with Where's the G's? Where's the stars? Where's the whips? Where's the cars? Where's the cribs? And where's the yards? all I see is high. too many mocks on the TV. How many real crooks on the TV? All I see is Beth Pop on the
3: TV. Be a real she know the track again too many motherfuckers be lying about selling buying and track again i'm like really though what's happening you boys talk about that prank again cuz we don't believe you need more people y'all might as well just back it in
2: show me the paper how did you end in. up getting into sort of know dizzy like what what how did that all start how did that come about
3: he met Saul South by southwest he came over um, to the states and performed that Saul South by southwest and back then, there was only maybe two or three rap shows during the entire conference. Like Rap was a very, very small part of, of the music conference part of South by Southwest. And so in that particular show, a um, good friend of mine, Matt Sanzala, put that particular bill together. So it was, I want to believe it was me, Paul Wallen Chameleon Air, and Dizzy Rascal all on the show. And so when I saw him, he jumped out of the van and he had on the Avisu jeans that had like the different color on every pocket. Right. And we we didn't have them yet, right? Like I had Avisu jeans, but that was like the hardest pair to get. And he had it. And I was like, damn, we got the motherfucking jeans on. (laughs) Damn. I wonder if he got them from from overseas or whatever. He's like, I went up and asked him. He's like, no, I got this shit from New York. I just left from New York. I'm like, that makes sense. but. You know, I really liked his his personality. You know what I'm saying? He had a very carefree personality. I think that's the best way to say how young Dizzy was, carefree. <laughs> but I knew a lot of dudes like him, and so I just wanted to like be in his corner and just have, you know, have an opportunity to basically, you know, talk him off a bridge every now and then because he was a very loose cannon. But I knew a lot of people probably didn't understand where a lot of that came from. I understood it immediately. You know what I'm saying? And we built up a, not just a friendship, but a trust factor, right? That if I called him and told him maybe something wasn't in his best interest, he knew it came from a good place. You know what I'm saying? Right. And um just being, you know, he's the only child, so I just felt like, you know, he needed a big brother. And I just wanted to be in his corner. And it was really amazing to witness his rise, like, firsthand, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, from Fix Up, Look Sharp, to, like, I was on stage with him at Glastonbury, right? It, like the big Glastonbury when um he when had the song with Armand Van or whatever. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Bonkers. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was there. And just to watch that kid progress from where he was at a very young age to having the biggest record in the world at that moment with hundreds of thousands of people jumping up and down, it was mind blowing for me. I'd never seen no shit like that before in my life. Like I went out on the stage and literally my entire vision, like directly as well as peripherally was people. Like I never saw the yeah. end of people. Yeah. That was some dope ass shit. I was like, yo, I <laughs> and my, me and my, my wife was with me. And I was like, yo, you can't see where the people stop. Like, what is this? Yeah. And we walked, like me and my wife went out into Glastonbury. I'm like, this is like a makeshift village. Like these people live here for the weekend. Like they're camp and it's muddy than a motherfucker too. That's the other thing. So they're trudging through mud with boots on with babies. I'm like, this is a real commitment. <laughs> yeah. And then you oh, and you pass Stonehenge on the way, right? Like the fuck is this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's mad. And like the festival thing, do you didn't camp, did you? You were- you're not I can't imagine Bambi camping.
3: I would, I would, not I, I I've never been above it, but nobody ever wants to do it with me. But no, we didn't camp at Glastonbury. They, you know, dizzy. They whooped them in and whooped them out. Like right, right, right. I, I walked to the bathroom and Bruce Springsteen walked past me by himself. <laughs> like no security, no assisted Like it was, it was, it was wild.
2: Have you, rummaged? Have you ever done Glastonbury? I've not done Glastonbury. I've done Reading and Leeds, like which. You know, and I I did exactly... I Basically, I'm not a festival dude. So whenever I've had to do stand-up at these things, I I turn up 10 minutes before I'm due to do my set, and then I go straight away afterwards. I'm not really... Like you said, it's a commitment.
3: It really is, man. For, For some of these festivals, particularly the way you guys do them over there, like it's a whole thing. Like we're about to see this now. Like we're Rolling Loud is about to be the first big music festival yeah. in the States happening in Florida. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rolling Loud as a festival. Yeah. But it's everybody. Like we were looking at the list of acts that they have over a three-day period. Yeah. It's literally everybody. It's I, I looked at it, I said, it's everybody that isn't married that raps. <laughs> <laughs>
1: is that open to all audiences or do they have to be like tested it's
3: it's in Florida so it's going to be 100% attendance it's a football stadium so we're talking about 60,000 plus people Every day over a three-day period.
2: Yeah, it's, it's mad.
3: It's labeled as Miami Beach, but it's really in Fort Lauderdale, right. which is about 45 minutes away. Right. And there's going to be a ton of people that go to Miami on that weekend, knowing that it's going to be a big weekend just to stay on Miami Beach. So you don't even have to go to the concert, because all after parties are still
2: going to be on the beach. I mean, that sounds a lot better than than our festival, to be honest with you. That sounds wicked.
3: No, 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 no! Not in the middle of a pandemic. That's the thing. They're going to do this. They're going to do this two months from now. Is what I'm telling you.
2: (laughs) 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 So you know, you were talking about uh, sort of looking out for Dizzy and and giving a bit of advice. Does that come from a desire from you? Because you know, you've talked very openly in the past about how you feel, not how you feel, the reality of your situation with various record labels and managers and, you know, jive and all of that. Did that, did that experience give you a desire to kind of look out for people coming up and maybe give them the sort of insight that maybe you didn't feel you were given when you were coming up with UGK? Yeah. And see, and it
3: starts with, it starts with like contract shit, right. And like concert shit, right. Like how to avoid the pitfalls of, you know, contractual agreements, not selling your publishing. Right. Then it's about, um, how to be safe on the road, how to tour properly, you know what I'm saying? Make sure you get your money, all that type of shit. But as I got older, like that became less of what my mentorship to people was. It really became really more about balancing your personal life with your professional life, right? That became the big thing that a lot of young artists would come to me about was like, you know, the temptations of the road, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do I, cause they want to take full advantage of, this newfound stardom, celebrity, whatever you want to call it, right? But, I mean, they love their girl. They don't want to lose their family. But it's like, damn, I really, really want to feel like a rapper, like everybody else gets to feel like it. I don't really get to feel like it, you know? And then there's, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's a couple of guys, I'm not going to name any names, but drugs become a problem for people, right? Not being able to handle and manage the usage. And I just try to protect people from themselves sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Because I was young. I did dumb shit. I'm lucky to be alive, still here, have my full mental capacity, all that shit. So, yeah, now it's really like dizzy. You know, we talk more about personal stuff than we do professional stuff more than anything, you know. And that's what it's like for a lot of young rappers, because, you know, unfortunately, we have some young black men out here um, who don't have male influences. Right. They didn't have a big brother. They didn't have uncles. Maybe they didn't have a father at home, you know? And I'm not trying to be anybody standing FOG, right? But I do understand a lot of the things that they're just now starting to figure out and realize. And so, yeah, if I can help these dudes avoid a lot of this shit, you know, I feel obligated because when I was coming up, people like Too Short, people like Jay Prince, you know what I'm saying? Different OGs of mine, you know, kept me focused and helped me avoid some things. So I feel it's only necessary and I do the same thing as well, especially if I see it coming. You know, a couple of people tried to tell Takashi that this shit was going to end wrong, like you and some shit that you don't know what you're getting into, and it's going to end bad, and it became exactly what we knew it was going to become. He wasn't going to take that hell. We knew that, and so I, we tried, and Fat Joe tried to tell him, like, you need to get out of this right now, because we were really trying to tell you you're not built for this shit. That's the reality. This street shit get real deep, real quick. People get hurt all the time. You know what I'm saying? And it's not a problem when you talk about street people. Musicians got a little bit more to lose. So they tend to think these things through a little bit. But when it's some street shit, we we automatic with this shit. Mm. So I try to keep away from a lot of the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Keep them focused on what their priorities are, make sure they're not take care of 30 motherfuckers shit like that you know what I'm saying but people gotta be man enough to step up I can give you the advice and tell you how to do it but you gotta be man enough to step up and make it happen and you know so you know a lot of times now it's really more about personal shit with young dudes and and I want it to be they need to be able to ask somebody to talk to about the shit that they trust
2: what's your attitude to someone like Takashi because obviously you've, you've talked about you know the fact that you know all, all of the all of the things that he got up to, but also the other thing about him is, and, and I know you've commented this on the, on this in the past, is that you know you used to only be able to make money from whatever you as as a rapper from like whatever you'd make from your record sales and maybe your touring over and above whatever advanced you've been paid and whatever you've been paid ahead, right? Whereas someone like Takashi is. Managed to, He's. they've got so many more revenue streams coming in now. Like, there's so many other ways to make money now, right? right? Do you feel like it's easier or more difficult to be a rapper now than it was when, like, you were coming up?
3: I'm not going to say it's easier to be a rapper. It's easier to profit off the art now, right? Right. So when we started, and this is not, you know, exclusively to Takashi, because, yeah. like, Youngboy, for example, it's probably the number one stream musician on a YouTube, you know? But that's because people can go to different places for music and content now. um, When you were a musician, when I signed a record deal in 92, you, you you got paid from selling a record like in a store, like somebody actually walking in a store and buying your record or your record getting played on the radio. Those are the only two revenue streams available to you. You know, very seldom were people Like the idea of like these music soundtracks for these hip hop movies, that's a very relatively new concept, Mm. right? And so like being in a movie and shit like that, that's a very new revenue stream. And it's not a consistent stream for for many people. It's becoming more prevalent because hip hop is used to sell almost everything, but that's more of like movie trails, right? And then back then you had to sell an album. You could sell a single, but singles didn't really generate, you made pennies on a single, the real money was selling the physical album in the store. But now you can have one song, right? You don't even need an album. You can have one song that can stream on seven different music platforms, right? Can be sold through like DistroKid, SoundCloud accounts, will play on YouTube, can get in a TV commercial, can be in a movie trailer, in a movie, on a TV show, Um, playing during the Super Bowl, in music stadiums, Um, basketball games, sporting events, all of these different revenue streams available just for one song. Yeah. So the power is now more in the artist's hands than it's ever been. The other thing is, when I came through, we had to go through the system, right? There was no way, unless you were physically selling music to people like hand to hand or maybe signing consignment deals with record stores, the only way to sell music to people was through a record company. Well, so you know, streaming and, and Apple Music and Google, Google Play, excuse me, has has destroyed that system and that notion that we need to go through a system to get our music to the consumer. We can give it to them direct now. And more and more artists are aware of that. So they're less likely and more reluctant to sign a record deal with a record company. Cause if I'm already popping on social media, what do I need you for?
4: Mm, yeah.
3: And that's why record companies only do 360 deals too because they need more of a revenue share of an artist because they're not likely to get as much money make as much money from selling records because people don't buy physical records anymore
2: and do you think that's to the benefit of it because I think you know in years gone by when the record labels were the gatekeepers if you like you know like you're saying you had to go through these record labels what you'd have is you'd have a new you'd have an album that represented a new sound or a new direction and then record labels would go that's fucking great they'd sign loads of copycat artists and then that would be, you did just hear loads of sort of derivative versions of that and then the next thing would come along. Whereas now, you've got a situation where you can go direct to the consumer. You don't need, you don't need a record label to go, we're, we're backing this or whatever. So do you, do you feel like we've seen uh, uh, an improvement in in, in what in, in terms of the range of music that we're getting now, or do you see it's as, as been a negative impact? I mean, what's your take on that? No, 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 it's ab-
3: it's absolutely positive. And I'll tell you why. I'll give you the perfect example of why it's positive. Soldier Boy, right? right. Soldier Boy is a fifteen year old kid with a necklace made out of rubber bands. Would have walked into every record company with that record and that dance, and would have got laughed out of every building. Right? He put up a video on YouTube. He gave his music directly to the people. And he's now a multi-millionaire because of that. Yeah, right. And no other world does that happen other than the world that we live in, where he's able to give his music directly to the people. Now, just think, for example, over the entire history of the music industry, how many other artists were denied that because somebody at a record record company didn't think they were they were hot or popping? Mm. Right. Mm. We gave the wrong. We gave too much power to the wrong people, and so. For the best part, yeah, they did a good job. They signed Tribe Called Quest, You know, they signed NWAs and they signed Public Enemies and all of that. And that's good. But how many of those dudes did we leave sitting on the table? Like, how many of those demos are sitting with dust on them right now with people who could have changed the world musically, you know? I'm one of the lucky few that got through at that time. But I know a lot of dudes, like dudes that I felt were better than me that just didn't make it right? They just, their music didn't get in front of the people that believed in them, And and that's sad, you know? So now, yeah. the people can decide whether or not they like it. You know, it's up to them. Let the majority decide. Yeah, and Because there's still going to always be something for the rest of us, right? Popular music is going to be what it is because it speaks to the most people. It, it brushes with the broadest strokes, so to speak. But there's still going to be alternative options for everybody musically. There always has been. You know what I'm saying? So I don't knock anybody that's doing something that I can't relate to because I remember when I dropped, nobody was fucking with us. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, we had to fight through. Like, people's like, what the fuck is that? You know? Even with my own record company, I told them for years, yo, if you let us talk about this, this, and this, and let me present this lifestyle to the public, they'll love it. And they told me, no, no, no. Every time, no, no, no. And then, Pimp C goes to jail. And everything that I told them would become popular became popular. But everybody else profited off of it except them. Yeah. Because they didn't listen. So when Pimp C came home and we reformed the group, first thing the record company did was apologize because <laughs> they missed
4: out. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. missed
3: out. Because we told them this in 96. And this explosion of this Southern, like Texas hip hop scene in 2005. Mike Jones sold 2 million. Lil Flip sold 2 million. uh, Paul Wall sold a million. Chameleon has sold 5 million singles and had the biggest ringtone of the year. All from this culture that I had been trying to tell them people would dig it. It's cool. Trust me. Everybody that comes from out of town is like, yo, I like what y'all doing. This is kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? But let us do it in a genuine way. Don't try to filter, right? Don't half-ass it. Just get out of the way and let us do it right and show exactly what it's like and by the time they were really ready to listen it was it was too late
1: were you not tempted to do something in yourself having that sort of belief about it that you you thinking oh, I'd launch up my own thing or whatever and
3: at that time I was contractually obligated to this company so I couldn't go off and do it by myself yeah yeah you know what I'm saying so I'm spending my whole time in this in the system you know spinning wheels and burning gears trying to convince them you know what to do now they gave us an opportunity to create bright and dirty which was the first time they gave us full creative control. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't let us do the kind of visuals that we wanted to do to accompany the music. Well, it's bun be Bips and I'm the king of moving tickets, Got them finger licking, sticking niggas that be tricking so we had an album that had literally no music video we were sitting home watching rap city one day I'm watching television it goes to a commercial and I watched the commercial And it takes me about 20 seconds to realize it's a commercial for
1: my album that I didn't shoot. (laughs) That's the first time you'd seen it. Yeah, it
3: was basically a limousine in the desert, right? And this limousine is like speeding through the desert and you see the smoke trails, the dust trails behind it and all of that. And there's a chick like just standing in the middle of a desert with like a silver tray. And the limousine is speeding, speeding, speeding. And the limousine pulls up to the chick and the window goes down and she hands them the CD to the guy in the limo. And then the window goes up and he takes off. Wow. (laughs) And I didn't realize it was my video until the window went down and the CD came out.
1: (laughs) That's bizarre. Wow.
3: Which in theory is like a really good concept, right? Like I love the idea of it. I just hate the fact that I had nothing to do with the shit.
4: You know? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, the next segment of Hip Hop Save My Life is brought to you in partnership with Pop Chips. Uh, The good people at Pop Chips are all about one thing, inspiring people to live their lives with optimism and positivity, whether it's how we snack, eat, or just live our day-to-day lives. Pop Chips want to make people's lives pop with positivity. Uh, now, I think it's fair to say that popping positivity isn't my forte. In fact, I'm often told I could do well to inject a bit of positivity into my daily proceeding, which is a surprise to me. I've always considered myself to be quite positive. But on holiday with my wife, three days in, she once turned to me and said it's very difficult to know whether I'm enjoying it or not. Uh, so with that in mind, I've invited one of my very best friends onto the show to help me with this, to see what we can do over the next few weeks to help me channel my inner pop chip <laughs> and pop with positivity. So here she is. My friend and yours, Catherine Ryan. Hello, mate.
5: Hi, I've always felt that you have an inner pop chip. I think Thank you. You know, positivity can exist in many different incarnations. It's it's a concept. It doesn't have to be right on the surface like mine. My American level of positivity, whilst I'm not even American, uh is off-putting to some people. So I mean with us both together we reach maybe a happy medium
2: yeah i do i actually do find you quite an uplifting uh presence to be you know to talk to you
5: <laughs> well i am here to set you some goals ramesh so that we can bring out mm. a more positive slightly less grouchy version of you over the next few weeks and
2: then hopefully i'll speak to you in a few weeks and i'll have brought out my inner pop chip is that the idea
5: right and you can't just spend the next few weeks eating pop chips though Lisa would be off your back because they are the low calorie crisp, but you've got to actually do some stuff.
2: It's a good low calorie alternative to to um to what I could be eating. So yeah. So have you got an idea what these goals are going to be? Are you going to freestyle them, or well, you know what you're doing?
5: I was speaking to my daughter Violet today. She's across room. Mm. So Violet was saying she's a fan of your comedy. As am I. You kind of slag off your family a lot, but we can hear the love within those jokes. And I, you know, I understand the uh, satirical um, nature nature of it. it. But Mm. I think it'd be a good challenge for you maybe to do a little monologue. I don't know if you want it, 30 seconds, a minute, I don't know what you can handle, of speaking positively about Lisa without a punchline, without undermining it.
2: Oh, God, this is so good. I'm definitely going to do it.
5: And I think it's going to be hard not to... Throw a punchline in here or there. Undermine yourself. Because I do the same. But I think it's possible to do it without and just get the love out without the gags. Even though... We love the gags.
2: Yeah, but it's just that thing of like, you become very self-conscious about how earnest you're sounding. I, would, I mean, I would even undercut it if I was saying it to Lisa. <laughs> I know. So <laughs> so it's going to be tricky. But look, I, I, think it's, I, I actually think this is a really good one. Well,
5: I love Lisa. I think she's going to appreciate it. And on the same mm. subject of pleasing your family, the women in your family that I really love, I would like you to try calling your mom out of the blue once a week.
2: Okay, that's these are good, Catherine. I'm very I'm very happy with these. Any more? Are we done? Is that enough? I
5: have more. I love the way you dress. It's a real Thank you. like bad boy hip hop fusion mixed with, you know, wealth because I can see that the sneakers are special, the trainers. <laughs> but I would like you to really make your wardrobe pop. Try some experimental outfits, textures, colors, really play with patterns. Do you think you could do that?
2: Well, do you you know what? I was actually thinking about getting some dungarees. Nice. Uh, Okay, I'm going to try that.
5: Lastly, this might be a small step, Mm. but how about you take some time to savor your food? Whether that's a meal with the family or a cheeky afternoon pack of pop chips, take some time. I know you're a busy man. You're always filming. You're always on tour. Savour a meal because we're always eating fistfuls of something over the sink and running out the door.
2: So this is why it's so good to get a mate, because Catherine knows that most of my meals are over a sink. She's absolutely right. <laughs> Th- listen, these are a great. This is a great set of goals. Yeah. I'm loving this set of goals. So it's, uh, it's a one minute positive monologue about my wife. It's call my mum out of the blue once a week. Be more experimental with my wardrobe game and savour my food, whether that be a meal with the family or a cheeky afternoon pack of pop chips, or a weird afternoon where the meal with the family is in fact a packet of pop (laughs) chips. So any of those scenarios. Great. Now, uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to check in with, or Catherine's going to check in with me uh, in a few weeks time, where we're going to see how I got on with these goals. Uh, Catherine, quick question, favourite flavour
5: of pop chip? I really love sea salt and vinegar. Okay. And then I'm excited about Thai sweet chili. I've not tried that one yet, but it's it's vinegar for me.
2: I love sea salt and vinegar flavor as well. Is it your favorite? It is my favorite, yeah. It is absolutely my favorite.
5: Delicious.
2: All right, brilliant. Well, look, tune in uh, when Catherine comes back to see how I've done. And
5: you have to come by my podcast. It's called Telling Everybody Everything.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm coming onto your podcast. We're going to do a similar thing, aren't we? Yes, please. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, all right, cool. See you later. Peace out. Enough respect. Keep it real. Bye. Bye. Did you do you know do you know like because in the UK when Southern hip hop kind of first like emerged, it took the UK a while to kind of really come round to it. Do you know what I mean, I, I don't think it was like a, I don't think it was like a, a, a snobbery towards it. but It's just we hadn't heard anything like it, right? So, so when it first came out, you were like, "Fucking hell, this is like." It just sat is a completely different sound and it took people a little bit of time to sort of come around to it. Did that happen in the States or did people just jump on it straight away?
3: No, no, it it, it took took a while. um, And I understand why, right? Because the musical references are very different, right? Mm. Like a lot of New York hip hop and LA hip hop drew from like disco, right? And so disco was a phenomenon worldwide. It wasn't just an American phenomenon. But a lot of Southern hip-hop is rooted in, like, very, you know, old-school soul music as well as a lot of gospel music, right? And so the frame of reference for that dissipates the further you get away from it, right? So there's a very deep culture of Louisiana, right? In the state that's very well-known and understood, the further you get away from Louisiana, the less you know about what Louisianans are really like, right? Yeah. And the South is not, like, South is not monolithic in any way, right? Like every state has their own differences. And then there's even differences within the states, right? So I live in Houston, right? So we tend to get more of a faded haircut, right? And we tend to speak a certain way. You go to Dallas, they tend to wear what they call a shag, which is basically like an Afro, but with like a, a ducktail kind of ending on it, right? right? right, right. That's dim- yeah. That's thicker. And in Dallas, they they say like we up her, down her, over there. You know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. they they speak totally different. But we're only four hours away from each other, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, same thing in Florida, right? Miami Miami Florida people are very different from like say Jacksonville, Florida people, right? Because Jacksonville Florida people are much more akin in lifestyle on a daily basis to like a Mobile, Alabama, or a Jackson, Mississippi, whereas Miami on a lifestyle basis is more closer to a Caribbean lifestyle, right? Or even like an Eastern European lifestyle with the boutique all white hotel type of vibe, right? So different places have different feels and different nuances, right? So, and you have to know that in order to navigate the South, like both musically and culturally, You know? And so, and that's something that a record company wouldn't understand unless we try to explain it to you. And we're the only ones that know how to paint that broadly across those regions to make everybody get it in a general way. Because there's certain terminology that works everywhere. But different places obviously have specific terminology to them. But there's certain shit that we all kind of say. You just got to know how to
2: talk to people. And is that why... Is that part of the reason why you use the word, you know, you've had the word trill in so many of your album titles because it's so specific to Port Arthur, where you're from. Absolutely. And so was that was that the sort of thinking of like, you want to, that represents where you're from so much. You want to stamp that on everything you do. Was that kind of the attitude? As, I mean,
3: yeah, because I mean, first of all, like it, it's a word that we didn't necessarily create in our city, but we took to it. So it was, it was a word that was being used in in the prison system at that time by a specific group of people. We had people who were affiliated with that and they came home and they used it. And then, and they were very highly regarded people in the neighborhood. You you know what I'm saying? And Spoon Guy, a guy named Spoon Guy and a guy named Lil' Block um, from Port Arthur, Texas. These are the guys who come home and like spread this word throughout the culture. So for us, it was always a way, and see, we're from a very small town surrounded by a lot of small towns. And a lot of us were always in competition to be honest, there'd be a lot of fights happening between these different towns or whatever. And that was just the word that we used to define ourselves, right? So when we started making music, we represent where we're from. The word was just a natural term that we used, but it definitely separated us from everybody. Perfect example in it, in the year 92, when we released our first music, the city of Houston was divided. The north side of Houston and the south side of Houston were like very deeply divided. Right. It even grew even further as we go along. So rappers from the south side of Houston couldn't go to the north side and vice versa. Right. But because we weren't from the north side or the south side, as our music became more popular, we could go to clubs all over the city. So we took over the city very quickly. Right. Right. It was uniform because we got to send the same message to the same people all at the same time and apply in a time where very few people could do that so we kind of cut through very quickly very easily and this wasn't a conscious thing this is just the way it worked we got booked on both sides of town and because we had no beef we could do the show.
2: right 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 and and the other and the and the, the word trill like people you've talked I know you've talked about what it means before but like people assume it means something about being hard or being you know or being gangster or whatever but it but it isn't that at all is it,
4: it trill it, is not like, it,
3: it never really was right we, it was always yeah. about look we're fishing, right? Like we keep it 100 with each other. We a stand up people, right? We tell you we're gonna do something, we're gonna do it. You don't have to worry about it. You know what I'm saying? If I owe you, you're gonna get it. If you need something, I'm gonna lend it. It was always about like, a basically a brotherhood of people that knew that they could count on each other. And that was the term that we knew to use. So in a room full of people, all we all had to say was true or not real? If somebody else said it, you knew you had a friend in the room. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, today, you would say something like, say his name. Somebody would say George Floyd. You can do that in a room of in a group of people randomly now, right? And you already know you got somebody in the room that's on your side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's really just about connectivity. But as more people appreciated the music, they wanted to be associated with what we represented. So they started to adopt the term. And a lot of people from where I'm from felt very, they were very upset about it, you know what I'm saying? Because they don't want people co-opting their terminology. But because of the fact that we always made it, made the connection between that word and where we were from, people always understood the origin. It's only up until the last maybe probably 15 years where it just becomes such a general term that people have no idea where it came from. Mm. We had the trade market, We had a lot of different issues with different people trying to co-opt it for profit. I had no problem with people using the term, right? I had no problem with that.
1: Over here, it's a very popular brand of budgerigar food. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> really? Yeah, you, you, yeah. Want, you want to check in with those guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, a bit, but the other side of that, though, is, you know, I know you're saying about people saying that the word's being co-opted, but on the other side of that, you've got a word that comes from your area that has now has now percolated throughout culture and throughout the whole society. I mean that's that's a positive thing, right?
3: My dream is to have Webster right. make Ooh. an official addendum to the definition, yeah. like a slang addendum cuz it's you know it's you know the trill is basically what they say what how birds speak, right? That's it's a, yeah. a high pitched
2: high pitched noise or something. Yeah, like high pitched noise,
3: noise with, with a vibrating effect of so, so to speak. Right. Like that's what differentiates it. Got but yeah, I would love to see like an official addendum to it, like slaying, you know, keeping it one hundred, you know what I'm saying, reference UGK. Like some very
4: I would love to see
3: <laughs> or put out the Texas. You know, I you know, don't don't put me in, put put off there But that would be my dream for it,
4: yeah. You know
2: you obviously I'm. you know you're aware that I'm I know that you've got you've got yourself legendary status not just in southern hip hop but in hip hop in general you know that and y- that your credentials are undeniable uh, but you're still making music at a ferocious rate and you're still you still seem ambitious you still want to put content out are you in a position where you ha- still have ambitions and goals or is it just like you just want to keep putting stuff out to keep yourself creatively interested i mean what is your do you have like a, an end game or, or or any kind of targets or anything? Or are you just going along and seeing how it goes?
3: No, I mean, look, if Mick Jagger can still get out there and make music, why can't I? You know what I'm saying? For sure. Like, seriously, like, there's no reason for me to limit myself as an artist, right? There's people that still appreciate what I do. I still feel like I'm operating at a high enough level that I'm not embarrassed by what I put out. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I do, I do enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it for a while. Like, and you can look and see it like a four, four year period where there's no music being released. And, you know, after Pimp passed away, honestly, you know, I did tribute music, but the idea of just creating music without him wasn't, you know, I'd done it while he was in prison. I didn't want to do it, but if necessary to keep the brand alive, to keep his name alive and to keep him keep, you know, viable income available when he got released from prison. But once he passed away, like, it wasn't fun anymore, right? I came into it with him. Yes, I was a solo artist, but that was only, that was by necessity. It wasn't my choice, right? It was up to me. I would only have ever made music with him. And so, yeah, I mean, I went to a funk. I went to a little bit of a depression. I started teaching, you know what I'm saying? Just doing other shit to occupy my time. And my wife was like, look, yeah, you go to the university and you teach during the day, but that's not your day job. Like, you need to give back. And make, and I'm still doing different appearances on people's albums, but I'm not releasing like full length projects. You know what I'm saying? And, um, she, she got, you know, she's very persistent about me getting back to making music and I found ways to make it fun again. So I'm really, really only doing music with my friends now, so to speak. So a lot of the music that I'm making like my first album coming back, um, was returning the trail. And, but that was all executive produced and musically coordinated by Big Crick. So even though he didn't produce everything, like he helped me get back. I felt good being around him because he was a good friend. And he was like, okay, and I'm gonna do this, but then you need to be with this guy because this guy's making good music right now. And he understands the legacy. And it was a certain level of continuity that we wanted to have. And connectivity with everything I've done while still being open to moving in new directions. Yeah. Just that man, hold up shit, that styrofoam cup shit, yeah. that foes and Vogue flows that niggas can't fuck with. Tipping on 44, shit, slamming like dough shit, that not only is it real, but it's really the yo shit. Wood gray, wheel in the candy paint, mandatory. If you're from the Texas, you already understand the story. Muddy cups and swangers, top chop with that trunk lit, chunk of deuce with fingers. Right. Boy, we ain't on that punk go way better And so now it's like I'm I'm enjoying the idea of just making music with my friends. So that's all I'm doing. Now, it's just making collaborative projects with one individual that I really enjoy being around their company. Um so for one that brings the right energy to everything, right? Cuz it starts from a friendly uh place, right? A, a communal place, and a familiar mm. place. You know, so you're not trying as hard. You don't necessarily feel you're under any kind of pressure. You know, everybody knows everybody's families. So it's a much deeper connection. Yeah. And it just lends itself to a better process for me. Now, that might not be for everybody, you know, but I need people to understand that look, if we're going to work, I need to get in about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I want to be done by like five or six o'clock in the, in, sure. in the evening. I want to go have dinner and, you know, sit down and have dinner with the wife, you know what I'm saying, get to bed at a reasonable time. Now, when I was young, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to go to the studio till midnight, you know, or after the club type shit, you know? But priorities yeah. shift. That's not my world no more. And I ain't got nothing to prove to nobody by trying to operate in that way. And so because I get to do it the way that I want to do it, that's what makes it still fun and exciting. For me, and there's still a lot of great young talent that I'm in a position to give my platform to. So it's not really even about me, but every now and then I get to be like, I like this kid, and I like this kid. I like what they're doing. Y'all come get on my album. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let, let's yeah. let's put you out there in front of the world and see how they respond. And that's a great feeling to see a kid jump on with me and then jump off and do boom, he's going to do his own thing. You know, and we've been there before. You know, we've helped a lot of some of the greatest artists become great. And it's been beautiful to just sit back and watch that type of thing. And and record companies and people don't people don't really take the time to nurture artists anymore. Nobody really grooms artists for the industry in the world. You know, so I, I take pride in being in a position of doing that. And that's what makes it really fun. So even, you know, like I'm doing an, an album right now with like me and Mandy Fresh are working on the album because I have known Mandy we're going on 30 years now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I I go to Manny's house and we record in his game room. So it's lighthearted off top, right? And we're doing it. Yeah, like, yeah, I'll go to the house at like noon. Right. Right? And we'll work from like 12 to 7. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. if for us, it's productive out, We're up early, yeah. right? We both can get our morning errands done. And then boom, by 12 o'clock, have a little lunch and we're ready to work.
2: Yeah. And how do you, you know, because the thing is like, you know, you did that, you did the record with Crit and the thing that I think is so difficult or seems to have been difficult for other hip hop artists that have been around for a while is walking that line between doing the stuff that we know them for doing, but also sounding current and, you know, and, and, and then not sounding dated. You seem to manage that fairly easily. Is that something that you're doing deliberately or is it just, you make whatever sort of turns you on and then whatever happens, happens, you know, like obviously collaborating with Crit, you've got, you've got different influence there. I don't know if you're toing and throwing with like what his take on how you should do it is and what your take is. I mean, how does that all come about?
3: Oh, it's definitely collaborative. Right. I'm definitely open to things. Right. But for one, you have to be very clear about who your audience is. Right. Who you're talking to. Right. So, if you started making music in, like, let's say, 95, right? Your era was 95 yeah. to 2002, right? The music that appealed to people during that time period, to young people, right? The voice of the culture, right? is very different from what speaks to the voice of the culture today. Now, that doesn't mean they can't hear it and appreciate it, right? Understand it, respect it, but they're not going to necessarily prioritize it. Right. You gotta learn to be comfortable with that, right? You have to go into this with realistic. I Always talk to artists about this. You gotta go into this with realistic expectations. I'm doing an album right now with a very good friend of mine. His name is Corey Moe. Corey Moe's a well-known producer in the South. Um, so he's making all the beats. I'm doing a lot, I'm doing the rhyme and we've got some features on that. And we've got some really, like, really good music. And he's like, Man, I don't know, man. I think this shit might go gold. I'm like, look, th- th- let's let's calm down.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
3: Like, I don't know if you really understand what it would take technically to to go gold nowadays, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to sell 500,000 of anything physical in this world, right? You've got to work hard to get people to purchase music from, from the Apple store when they can stream it from Apple Music, right? And the number of streams that it would take to just to merit one sale Right would mean millions and millions of streams, you know, to generate something that would constitute a gold album. Let's temper our expectations a little bit. Like bring, you know, what I'm basically, I'm telling, bring that shit down a little bit. We're gonna present a good project. I think it's gonna be well received, right? I think it's gonna lend itself to more production work for you, right? I think it's gonna please my base. I think we're gonna make money, right? Yeah. I think we're going to make some decent money. Neither one of us are going to get rich, but, you know, we, we can still, you know, make some good, decent money that's nothing to sneeze at. So, you know, look, we can make we can make music and profit from our art, right? And still be looked at as, you know, contributors to the culture. Because I'm like, I have to tell people all the time, you don't have to sell a million things to make a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a lot easier. To sell a million people something for a dollar than it is to sell one person something for a million dollars. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. it's quicker, but it's a lot harder. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People that you sell that thing to for a dollar might come back and buy something else, and that's what we want. Mm. You want to show consistency to the market and to the base, so that people know, like, well, it's been three months, man, that you should be dropping something by now, right? Like when you're when, when your people, it's like a podcast, right? When people know you're consistent with the content, like that one Saturday you miss it, people are like, oh man, what the fuck? What are you doing?
4: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, this,
3: yeah. This is This is how I spend my day outside washing the car. Or this is how I clean the house. Or, you know, this is what I do when I go, I go to the park and sit under a tree and read a book and listen. Like, you know, people become accustomed to things, right? It becomes a part of their routine. And that's all I want to be. It's a consistent part of people's musical routine. Something that they can count on and maybe something from yeah. some t shirts to it,
4: possibly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And uh, what are you listening to yourself? Are you, um, I'll take you, you listen. You, you listen to a lot of stuff yourself. What sort of stuff are you into at the moment?
3: Um, I'll be very honest, I really love what Griselda's doing. Now I might be partial, right? Because I make him, I make music with them. You know, I had Westside on yeah. the Trill Static album, um, a couple yeah. of years ago, so I was, you know. Not as early as maybe like Combat Jack and some, and you know, and Prodigy from Mob Deep, rest in peace, but um, maybe a lot earlier than the masses. and so I definitely tried to, you know, give them some. An opportunity to get out there and get behind them, but they're making great music right now. Standing on the furniture, I told the bottle girl, "Pitch past the ace." I popped the cork, poured the whole bottle for homies passed away. Wrapped the race, killer P yellow with the mattress case Still got racks in the safe, a half a letter stashed away. Wrapped a half a cake in Saran wrap with some masking tape. Wrapped the surface of round wrappers. I probably lapped them eight times. Keep the Mac on waste. I don't waste time. Boy, you get the drum work from the Griselda record's basket case.
2: They. Um,
3: there's a kid, um, Stove God Cooks. He he's just released a project last year uh, with Rock Marciano, who's an amazing artist himself. But he actually was the producer of this album, and it's real really crazy.
2: Tell them niggas, tell them. T- Trillis ever did it? Woo! Shooters in the '92 T- intrepid. You got collage work, his T- shit mixed with his
3: shit, mixed with day work. My shit is Cinderella T- slipper. I ain't sorry for the wait. T-
2: Bitch, I was in the kitchen dancing on a plate. They wrote my story out in invisible ink. They like what took so long? I'm like nigga, I barely blinked. God bless the house.
3: Trying to think, what else am I listening to right now? Oh yeah, um, Silk Sonic. I really like. That's a big one in the house right now. The, the group between Anderson pack
2: oh, and Lamarge. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You're like Anderson huh. Park is just he's one of those guys where you just can't fucking believe how talented this dude is he's really just too good
3: he's too good for his own good
2: yeah (laughs) it's just
3: and he he can almost do anything I feel oh Kurungbin Kurungbin are you familiar with Kurungbin no no. Kurungbin is a three piece band from Houston and they're probably the greatest band they're the greatest band in the world right now. I swear by okay.
2: it. Okay. Oh, that's a good recommendation. But they're not
3: a, they're not a local band by any means, though. Right. Right? They've got a fan, they've got a worldwide fan base and they were literally set to blow. Right. Next year, like they were booked on every big festival, they were set to blow and COVID just did not give the opportunity for them to fully present themselves to the world. But it's Krugman, K H K H R A U N G B I N. Okay. It's Thai for airplane. Oh, okay. And so, a lot of the music is built from like Tide funk. Um, it's just so many different like reggae influences with merengue and like. And the guitar player is ridiculous. You know, Mark is is really amazing. The bass player is is sick, Laura, and the drummer is like basically people refer to him as the human metronome because it's timing. Yeah, it's it's really when you hear him play, it's almost like you're listening to a drum machine. And I'm talking about live, right. So please, you as well as your listeners, whenever you're done with this, go and listen to this band. They're gonna blow your mind. You're gonna hit okay. you're gonna hit Martin and be like, yo, this fucking band bunch of them about the amazing, this. I'm <laughs> telling you, it's, they're, they're really, really amazing. I swear by it. And once everything opens up, the world will the world will mm-hmm. too.
2: All right. Well that's a big record. We'll we'll check that out. The other thing I wanted to ask you about—we're sort of almost out of time here—but I wanted to ask you a couple more things. One of the things I want to ask you about is: following you, anybody that follows you on Instagram will know that you post a lot about food. I knew it right? was, was coming. And and you also do a thing called Trill Meals. Now, can you sort of explain to, to people that might not be aware of that? What's because you obviously lo- you love your food. But like you've got, you, you part recipes and stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll let you explain. What's the, what's the deal with all that? All
3: right, so Trill Meal started like just as like a a, a prank kind of video, right? So right. anybody that's ever seen me or you Google any pictures of me, you you would know I don't miss many meals, right? <laughs> and so, you know, food is, is obviously a very big part of my life. My wife and I um, love to eat. My wife is an amazing cook. I'm a very, very so-so cook. And so the the idea of this, this the Trill mills videos came from basically making like these very Vine-ish kind of videos. So all the Vine videos used to be very you know, quick cut, very high speed, right? Yeah, yeah. Very it's
2: intense, good, it's good the way you do it. Right, yeah, yeah. and so
3: that's how they started. It was like me making, because it was when Instagram video first started, right? And so, but all my video referencing had been from Vine. So I wanted to make like a funny Vine style video for my Instagram video. So I was quick cutting through the to the the ingredients and the pan and preparation and this and then in the middle of it I would just go and smoke
4: weed. Oh, that's so, jump, so funny, man! It's so funny, you know.
3: And jump right back into it, right? And I look back at it now, I was like, "What were you even thinking, right?" And so we posted it, and I think the first one got like seventy thousand views or something. Right. Like it went, I mean, very quick. Yeah. And we realized, okay, clearly we've hit a nerve, so we did another one. Right. We took that one a little more like, OK, we're going to really like, let's give them some real food. Right.
4: Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that
3: might have been the oxtail. And so we hit him with that one. Same way. Funny. I knew the weed break was the one because you could see it in the comments. Right. That that was that was the punch. Right. Like out of nowhere. So I tried to move it and then I started putting in other very random elements. Right. Like, yeah, that has something so to do right? with food. Right. We I started realizing what you could see what was connecting with people. And I started to build off of that. Right. And then by the time we got to, like, um, my, I did one with my granddaughter for her favorite meal, which is chicken pot pie, pie. So I let her make it. So we're doing it with her. And I'm still, I'm like, fuck, we can't do the smoke break. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but it was very personal. Like it's me cooking in my house. Right. It had nothing yeah. to do with music. Right. But it was a different way for me to connect with my bass and also show, you know, some. Some very easy things that people could make, but act what tastes actually really good at home. Yeah. And it's nice to have something outside of music to be able to connect with people. You know what I'm saying? And for people that already like the music, you know, this gives them an opportunity to know me better. You know what I'm saying? And so when they see me, there's an icebreaker kind of a thing, and we can both kind of wink at each other. So it's not just like, I love your music. It's like, hey, man, I tried the Moxtails, baby. They were good. You know, it, yeah, yeah. it's different. It's like, hey man, I I really I I really support you. Like, I don't just buy the music. I really fuck with you. You know what I'm saying?
4: Yeah, yeah. it's but a deeper
3: appreciation of me, and I I I love it. You know, not not that I love people deeply appreciating me, but I love having yeah people that already like me for one thing like me for something else. It's beautiful.
2: I, I think like as a fan it's seeing a side of you that we've never that you've never seen anywhere else do you know what I mean and it's like i mean they're funny man they're really funny the way you cut them and everything like that so it's just like i don't know it's just a different side i mean listen man i i, I would love to see a, a, a cooking show no i'd love problem, to see right? like
3: we, well, we seriously considered shopping it right like various people came mm-hmm. and like yeah be, like we've done cooking demos with like a grocery chain. We've done different things, but the idea of the show, right, the problem is the smoke break because I feel like it's essential, <laughs> right? I feel like it's yeah, essential, yeah. yeah. but most people have standards where you couldn't just have me do it. So it would have to be like its own like YouTube kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, but but yeah. now we're in a more of a position to do it. But then with COVID, we started doing different things and just got sidetracked, you know? Um, but no, I mean, the food thing never goes away and every now and then we'll show something and people be like, yeah, give me a video, give me a yeah. video. But we know now when we come back with it, we have to be consistent. You know what I'm saying? And we have to be ready to embrace yeah, the idea yeah. of a cooking show. But then we just got the radio show. So now that's taken up all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So tell us about this radio show. So you got this radio yeah. show on Sirius, right? So what's the deal with all right, that?
3: So LL Cool J has has his own channel, Channel 43 called Rock the Belt, and it's devoted to um, basically classic hip hop records, you know, from the earliest era up until maybe the late 90s, very early 2000s, right? But there's a there's a cutoff of it, right? And so there's a very good mix of music, but then I noticed that there's music from certain years of like, well, you know, so-and-so made music in that year, but they probably would know that, right? Like there's all these very regional Southern records that were made. As early as, like, you know, I remember the earliest regional records I heard was, like, the Ghetto Boys' first record was called Car Freak. And that was, like, maybe 86 or 87, right? Right. But the average DJ would not know that. And that's just Texas. There's records like that in Louisiana, Mississippi, definitely in Florida, right, in Georgia. And so I'm like, there's this whole treasure trove of classic Southern hip-hop music that's not going to get played because people aren't going to dive that deep. And You wouldn't know, and you know a lot of this music didn't pop nationally, and so I, you know, I was doing something they were doing an um, an appreciation episode for DJ Premier, and I was like, look, man, if y'all are looking for somebody to, you know, to like you know, dig deep in the southern music, you know, let me know. You know, and he's like, well, I mean, we we've thought about it, but we don't. They didn't know exactly who to approach to do it, right. Because if you go to a Florida DJ, is he going to be fair? And he's going to be, you know, like, we don't know who's going to be what. Like, because they don't know. They're they're operating out of New York. And they were like, well, would you want to do it? And I was like, well, I guess. I'll do it just to make sure it's done right, you know? Yeah. And um, because they just they were like, look, there's a couple of different ways we could do it. I was like, before you even say that, I I would like to fully produce this as much as possible. Because I know it's going to hit. It's going to take off and then we're going to go from like one hour, one day of the week to like, you guys are going to want to do like two or three hours and have us present you a fully produced radio show, you know? Mm. And so I'm already thinking big in the building. I told LL, look, I want to, I want you in, in a couple of years to be able to put this, this channel, this station on my show. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just sit back and get checks and residuals from everything mm-hmm. we're doing but, like, I want you to... I want I want the responsibility of this entire station, i say, in, like, five years. Like, I want you to be able to be like, B, this is you. I'm the chairman, but you're the president. That's how I'm looking at it. Because I want this to be done right. And I want everybody mm. to be able to be appreciated. Because there's so much music. You know, nobody talks about Derek B, but that was a big deal because there wasn't a lot of people really making music at the time. So we just took in everything, but then these artists don't, they're not remembered in the grand scale, right? They're not the LLs and they're not the run DMCs. And you know what I'm saying? or the NWAs. And that's cool because everybody can't be joined. Yeah. yeah, Right. I get that, but there's always the sixth man, you know, the most improved player, the defensive player of the year. We don't remember a lot of those guys, but those guys made major contributions, not only to the team, but to the sport. And those are the kind of people that I want to make sure that we don't forget to celebrate.
2: Well, that sounds great, Matt. Well, what's the name of the show? The
3: show is called The Two Trill Show. It comes on SiriusXM Channel 43. The new shows debut every Wednesday at 12 noon uh, Eastern time, 9 Pacific. Uh, but they replay throughout the week. Okay. But we'll be putting up a list of all the show times on the Instagram for it. So you can go and follow at Two Trill okay. Show and you'll be able to see the f- full schedule of every time you can tune in because they just gave us the schedule because we've only done two weeks this is only our second week
4: oh okay cool yeah cool, so cool. we're
3: very new very new to it but we're
2: adapting very fast well listen Bun-B, uh, it has been an absolute uh, honour to, to, to be talking to you on this podcast man like you're you're, you know I'll say it again you're a legend in the game and to have you be so generous of your time we really appreciate it man so oh, thank you uh, thank you so much good luck with it all we'll check out the radio show and uh, you know keep doing what you're doing man we really appreciate it so thank you very much I think
3: it's very baller that you did this whole thing from your bed you know <laughs> and, and, if, and if, if I were you I would find a better story like and the kids that you're hiding from the kids there's gotta be like but well, you gotta you got find some kind of like very pimpish type story you know what yeah. I'm saying like I'm in the bed man I can't even move right
2: now you know she wore me up <laughs> we'll end it in afterwards yeah yeah I'll drop it I'll drop in the better story when do you listen yeah. to this back There'll be a, there'll be a fucking great story about what I (laughs) When I hear it,
4: it'll be different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, man. Well,
3: look. Thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed
4: it. Thanks a lot. Man,
3: thank you guys so much. No worries, man. Have a great
2: day, man. You too. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers.